to the podcast, Move Forth with Grace. We will be reading the whole Bible in the year 2024. This is such a perfect way to get into God's Word each day and to develop your own relationship with God our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. I am your host, Angela, and want to first of all say that I am not an expert in theology or church history or a minister, and I never will claim to be. I am a wife and mother who has been reborn and want to be of service to God in gratitude for calling me back home. Welcome to the podcast. The Bible that I will be reading from is the One Year Bible. It is a New Living Translation, and you can find one at www.tendale.com. This episode is brought to you by the Move Forth brand. It encompasses freedom, health, and God's grace. We are created in God's image perfectly and fearfully and wonderfully. There is nothing that we need to do to earn His grace and His healing. He simply gives it to us. I am certified in health and life coaching, but no longer practice. However, I have health tips and resources, products that I love and use, homeschool tips, and merchandise available on my website, and that is www.move-forth.com. One of my favorite products on my website and that I use each day are stem cell activation patches. Stem cell therapy can be very costly and can produce results that are short-lived, which is why these patches are so brilliant and they are not considered to be stem cell therapy. They actually activate our own body's production of stem cells and support our health and well-being, all while optimizing our immune system. You can check those out on my website as well, www.move-forth.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you for becoming less like you and more like Jesus. May you move forth with grace today. All right. Well, today is day 49. We will be reading Leviticus 6, 1 through 7, 27, Mark 3, 7 through 30, Psalm 37, 1 through 11, and Proverbs 10, 3 through 4. Let's go ahead and begin with a prayer today. Dear Lord, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for guiding our lives and thank you for your wisdom. We say this prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Leviticus 6, 1 through 7, 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. Suppose you cheat in a deal involving a security deposit, or you steal or commit fraud, or you find lost property and lie about it, or you lie while swearing to tell the truth, or you commit any other such sin. If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. You must give back whatever you stole, or the money you took by extortion, or the security deposit, or the lost property you found, or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. On the same day, you must present a guilt offering. As a guilt offering to the Lord, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you before the Lord, making you right with him, and you will be forgiven for any of these sins you have committed. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning, and the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. In the morning after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them aside and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. These are the instructions regarding the grain offering. 
Aaron's sons must present this offering to the Lord in front of the altar. The priest on duty will take from the grain offering a handful of the choice flour moistened with olive oil together with all the frankincense. He will burn this representative portion on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Aaron and his sons may eat the rest of the flour, but it must be baked without yeast and eaten in a sacred place within the courtyard of the tabernacle. Remember, it must never be prepared with yeast. I have given it to the priests as their share of the special gifts presented to me. Like the sin offering and the guilt offering, it must be holy. Any of Aaron's male descendants may eat from the special gifts presented to the Lord. This is their per- permanent right from generation to generation. Anyone or anything that touches these offerings will become holy. Then the Lord said to Moses, On the day Aaron and his sons are anointed, they must present to the Lord the standard grain offering of two quarts of cho- choice flour, half to be offered in the morning and half to be offered in the evening. It must be carefully mixed with olive oil and cooked on a griddle. Then slice this grain offering and present it as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In each generation, the high priest who succeeds, Aaron, must prepare this same offering. It belongs to the Lord and must be burned up completely. This is a permanent law. All such grain offerings of a priest must be burned up entirely. None of it may be eaten. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the sin offering. The animal given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering, and it must be slaughtered in the Lord's presence at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest who offers the sacrifice as a sin offering must eat his portion in a sacred place within the courtyard of the tabernacle. Anyone or anything that touches the sacrificial meat will become holy. If any of the sacrificial blood spatters on a person's clothing, the soiled garment must be washed in a sacred place. If a clay pot is used to boil the sacrificial meat, it must be broken. If a bronze pot is used, it must be scoured and thoroughly rinsed with water. Any male from a priest's family may eat from this offering. It is most holy. But the offering for sin may not be eaten. If its blood was brought into the tabernacle as an offering for purification in the holy place, it must be completely burned with fire. These are the instructions for the guilt offering. It is most holy. The animal sacrificed as a guilt offering must be slaughtered at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered, and its blood must be splattered against all sides of the altar. The priest will then offer all its fat on the altar, including the fat of the broad tail, the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These are to be removed with the kidneys, and the priests will burn them on the altar as a special gift presented to the Lord. This is the guilt offering. Any male from a priest's family may eat the meat. It must be eaten in a sacred place, for it is most holy. The same instructions apply to both the guilt offering and the sin offering. Both belong to the priest who uses them to purify someone, making that person right with the Lord. In the case of the burnt offering, the priest may keep the hide of the sacrificed animal. Any grain offering that has been baked in an oven, prepared in a pan, or cooked on a griddle belongs to the priest who presents it. All other grain offerings, whether made of dry flour or flour moistened with olive oil, are to be shared equally among all the priests, the descendants of Aaron. These are the instructions regarding the different kinds of peace offerings that may be presented to the Lord. If you present your peace offering as an expression of thanksgiving, the usual animal sacrificed must be accompanied by various kinds of bread made without yeast, thin cakes mixed with olive oil, wafers spread with oil, and cakes made of choice flour mixed with olive oil. 
This peace offering of thanksgiving must also be accompanied by loaves of bread made with yeast. One of each kind of bread must be presented as a gift to the Lord. It will then belong to the priest who splatters the blood of the peace offering against the altar. The meat of the peace offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the same day it is offered. None of it may be saved for the next morning. If you bring an offering to fulfill a vow or as a voluntary offering, the meat must be eaten on the same day the sacrifice is offered, but whatever is left over may be eaten on the second day. Any meat left over until the third day must be completely burned up. If any of the meat from the peace offering is eaten on the third day, the person who presented it will not be accepted by the Lord. You will receive no credit for offering it. By then, the meat will be contaminated. If you eat it, you will be punished for your sin. Meat that touches anything ceremonially unclean may not be eaten. It must be completely burned up. The rest of the meat may be eaten, but only by people who are ceremonially clean. If you are ceremonially unclean and you eat meat from a peace offering that was presented to the Lord, you will be cut off from the community. If you touch anything that is unclean, whether it is human defilement or an unclean animal or any other unclean detestable thing, and then eat meat from a peace offering presented to the Lord, you will be cut off from the community. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. You must never eat fat, whether from cattle, sheep, or goats. The fat of an animal found dead or torn to pieces by wild animals must never be eaten, though it may be used for any other purpose. Anyone who eats fat from an animal presented as a special gift to the Lord will be cut off from the community. No matter where you live, you must never consume the blood of any bird or animal. Anyone who consumes blood will be cut off from the community. Mark 3, 7 through 30. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever they, those possessed by evil spirit caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out, the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law, who had arrived from Jerusalem, said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? 
he would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Psalm 37, 1 through 11, a Psalm of David. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. Proverbs 10, 3-4 the Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. That concludes our reading time for today. All right, so jumping over to the companion here. All right, so in uh, Leviticus 6, 12 through 13, why did the fire on the altar have to keep burning? The holy fire on the altar had to keep burning because God had started it. It had come down from God supernaturally. The supernatural origin of the altar fire represented God's eternal presence in the sacrificial system and meant, in effect, that only by the grace of God were sacrifices acceptable for atonement. Man-made fire was forbidden. The sin of bringing unholy or man-made fire to the altar resulted in the deaths of Nadab, and Abihu, and that is coming up in Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. Okay, and then also in 726 in Leviticus, why does the Bible say to eat no blood? Okay, let's see. The prohibition against eating blood can be traced all the way back to Noah in Genesis 9, 4. God prohibited eating or drinking blood for several reasons. One, to discourage pagan practices. Israel was to be separate and distinct from the foreign nations around them. Eating blood was a common practice of pagans. It was often done in hopes of gaining the characteristics of the slain animal, for example, strength or speed. God's people were to rely on him, not on ingested blood, for their strength. Number two, to preserve the symbolism of the sacrifice. Blood symbolized the life of the animal that was sacrificed in the sinner's place. To drink it would change the symbolism of the sacrificial penalty and destroy the evidence of the sacrifice. Three, to protect the people from infection because many deadly diseases are transmitted through the blood. The Jews took this prohibition seriously, and that is why Jesus' hearers were so upset when Jesus told them to drink his blood, and that is in John 6, 
53 through 56. However, Jesus, as God himself and the last sacrifice ever needed for sins, was asking believers to identify with him completely. He wants us to take his life, his blood, right? Because if blood symbolizes life, he wants us to take his life into us. And he wants to participate in our lives as well. I have never heard that description before. And it it finally makes sense. Blood is life. Jesus is not suggesting that you drink his blood. He is saying that I want you to take my life in you. So that, uh, that makes sense. Okay, and let's see, why did Jesus choose 12 men? Well, this is over in the Life Application Study Bible, this answer to the question. From the hundreds of people who followed him from place to place, Jesus chose 12 to be his apostles. Apostle means messenger or authorized representative. Why did Jesus choose 12 disciples? The number 12 corresponds to the 12 tribes of Israel, and that is from Matthew 19, 28, showing the continuity between the old religious system and the new one based on Jesus's message. Many people followed Jesus, but these 12 received the most intense training. Jesus did not choose these 12 to be his associates and companions because of their faith. Their faith often faltered. He didn't choose them because of their talent and giftedness. No one stood out with any unusual ability. The disciples represented a wide range of backgrounds and life experiences, but apparently they had no more leadership potential than people who were not chosen. The one characteristic they shared was their willingness to obey Jesus. After Jesus' ascension, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to carry out special roles in the growth of the early church. We should not disqualify ourselves from service to Christ because we do not have the expected credentials. Being a good disciple is simply a matter of following Jesus with a willing heart. And another thing about um, how they were accusing him of being um, possessed, right? So the teachers of religious law brought a nonsensical accusation against Jesus. They tried to say that Jesus was driving out demons by the power of the prince of demons. In other words, that Jesus's power came from Satan, not God. They refused to believe that his power was from God because then they would have to have had to accept him as the Messiah. Their pride would not let them do that. They also couldn't allow the people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah because that would threaten their own power. So they created this bizarre accusation to try to get people to believe that Jesus himself was possessed. This would deny his claim as the Messiah and place him instead in, in league with the devil. The more effective you are in your Christian life, the more extreme will be the attacks of the enemy. Even the most ridiculous accusation will convince some when it's cleverly packaged to sound sincere and concerned. Stand firm for the truth even when clever attacks come. We should stand firm, right? No matter. And so when he talks about the sin, the eternal or sin with eternal consequences, right, against the Holy Spirit, this is why he was saying that. 
So Christians sometimes wonder if they have committed this sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Christians need not worry because this sin reveals a heart attitude of unbelief and unrepentance. Deliberate ongoing rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit is blasphemy because it is rejecting God himself. The religious leaders accused Jesus of blasphemy, but ironically, they were the guilty ones when they looked Jesus in the face and accused him of being possessed by Satan. So that is why he said that he's like, hey, you know, y'all might not want to say that because if you do that, then you're sinning actually against the Holy Spirit. And so that's why he said that there. Then we had a beautiful psalm today. And in verses 8 and 9, so what is the importance of stop being angry, turn from your rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. What is what is the importance here? Well, anger is a destructive emotion, and at its core, it reveals a lack of faith that God loves us and that he is in control. We should not allow our anger to distract us. Instead, we should trust God, giving ourselves to him for his use and safekeeping. When you dwell on your problems, you will become anxious and angry. But if you concentrate on God and his goodness, you will find peace. And so it's always good for us to check in, where is my attention? And we are all guilty of (laughs) focusing on so many other things other than uh, God and his goodness and his mercy and grace. And so we, we, we are all guilty. So it's always just kind of good to check in throughout the day. Okay, where, where, what am I focusing on? What, uh, what am I spending time thinking about? Uh, what thoughts are going through my mind? Just all those things. It's good to check in and see so that we can focus on God and focus on his faithful promises and, um, and just keep practicing, uh, that skill of focusing our mind so that we can, you know, stop being angry, right? And stop being distracted. So let's go ahead and end with our prayer today. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for being our incredible provider and uh, protector in this world. We just can breathe easy knowing that you are in control of it all and that you have called us to be faithful to you. And we just pray that we can be disciples of your son, Jesus, and that we can share his message uh, with, with as many people as we can so that their souls can be saved. We just thank you for this opportunity to be a part of your family, Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to wash us clean with his death on the cross. Jesus, thank you for being willing to lay down your life for all of us. Thank you for being our Savior. We say this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. that concludes our episode for today thank you so much for being here for joining in 
for taking the time to be in the presence of God. I look forward to being with you in the next episode. Take care.